I wasn't impressed with Halle Berry's hair until I saw this movie. And I, I totally <laughs> forgot about it. I saw right past it. Whatever. And I, I recognized all this wonderful story unfolding. This is episode 36 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a weekly show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, and more. Today is Wednesday, March 20th, 2013. I'm your host, TJ. And here with me is the master of our call center, Joe Darnell. Hey. Hello, uh, TJ. How are you, Joe? I have the headset on and I'm ready to go. I'm all fired up. The the lines are hot. Excellent. So if anybody has an emergency, they can dial right in and you'll take care of it. Yeah. Uh, You know, I just took a couple of a few minutes ago and, well, I saved the day. I flew out there. After I got the call, I responded. I went out and I took care of it and I came back and here I am. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, shall we get started? Yes. You wanted to talk a little bit about some follow-up to the subject of Oz the Great and Powerful, or what is this? I just got around to listening to the Slash Film cast, and, and I should preface ah. this. I uh, The reason why I make a podcast is because I enjoy podcasts. I really love podcasts, and I listen to a bunch of them, and the Slash Film cast is one of them. And they mm. do um, – their, their podcast is quite different than ours in many ways, but in some ways, it's. It, I mean, it's on the same topics and subjects, and sometimes there's crossover. They talked about Oz the Great and Powerful. We talked about Oz the Great and Powerful. Okay. Um, and, and so I, I, I do, I do want to preface this and say I recommend uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the film cast. I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes. I think it's the Slash Film Cast is a great podcast, and I recommend it to folks in addition to ours. Don't – you know, if, if it's one or the other, choose ours, of course. <laughs> oh, definitely. But Slash Filmcast is a great podcast if you're looking for another one to listen to. They don't keep it quite as clean as we do. We do not use any profanity of any kind whatsoever on our podcast. They tend no. to a little bit. Well, while we're thinking about the Slash Film, are, are you, did you get familiar with Slash Film's podcast or, first or their website? I started with their website. I did start with their website, and then I, I realized they had a podcast, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give this uh, – I'll listen to an episode or two, and I've really become a regular listener now. Okay. Because, um, yeah, I'm subscribed to it, too, per your recommendation. Yeah. I, I enjoy it a lot, and I think, uh, you know, David Chen, Devinder Hardware, uh, the two regulars on the podcast, uh, they, they do a great job. But mm-hmm. the reason I'm bringing this up is I do want to send a little friendly fire their way. I don't know if they'll ever listen to this. I hope they do. Uh, hi, guys. Um, but I, I was a little irritated with their analysis of Oz. And I, 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 the reason I'm bringing this up, because this does happen from time to time. And they have something like 230-some episodes. They've been doing this for a while. And they, they did you by any chance listen to the episode that I'm in question that I'm talking about? Not yet. It's in my queue. Okay. Well, I felt like they were um, hard on Oz the Great and Powerful, not in the ways that they should have been, but because they're bored with films in general. That's hmm. what it came across as to me. Like, well, it didn't do anything to wow us, or it didn't have really any special super thing to endear the film to us. And I'm sitting here going, did you see the same film we saw? They were poo-pooing the, the CGI and the special effects. And I thought, just go back even just five years and try to make this film. It wouldn't even have been possible. Not in that way. And Yeah, you know, I have to totally agree with you there. I mean, this Oz film is all about the adventure it's all about colorful characters it's made for families it introduces all kinds of emotions you know has uh, young and old characters it has uh, all kinds of vibrant locales what is it here that they they think is lacking when they say you know it wasn't 
well, in, to so many degrees, just professionally well done, sensational, glitzy, and adventurous and spectacular visual effects, etc. I don't get that. Yeah, I really don't understand. And and I feel like it's just that they've seen so many films. These guys review so many films and talk about so many films and they write about so many films yeah. that it, they've become it's hard to please them anymore. They they want some sort of wow factor that they haven't seen before and it really colors their judgment and and what I, I hope to say is that what I hope happens is that I never become that person. I want to continue to be um, enamored with the films that I watch, and I was really frustrated by that. Mm. Like, like they were they were talking about like why did this film even need to exist, etc. And and yet it's one, and, and yet this is kind of the divide. Um, and they also actually talked about this earlier in the slash film cast. It was a great episode in a lot of ways. Uh, earlier before they got to the Oz review, talking about the divide between critics and regular audiences. But I think this is one of the ways in which that happens. You. Uh, this film has made more money than any other film this year. It's being well-received by audiences. And yet, they're complaining about how it didn't wow them, and it didn't do this for them, and it didn't do that for them. And they've they've sort of lost their their ability to see the film properly. Overly stimulated. Yeah. They, they got too much TV in their life. I suppose yeah, you, yeah. yeah, I suppose you might say that. So yeah, and, and you know, I don't think would help. You know, there's there's something I've encountered too, TJ. I think that all of us movie reviewers can easily suffer from this, and it's because we just have to see so much. We're trying to take it all in, and we're trying to be the great reference point man for all of our audiences. And I respect the slash film cast for covering so much material out there. They they cover a lot more than we do, but that doesn't that isn't necessarily a good thing, because you get fatigue, because you get tired of trying to think sharply about so many films. You know, it's like I can only handle so much video games, even some of my favorites. You know, I could play them for a couple hours, but if I'm not spending time with some of my friends doing it, I just feel silly, and it starts to feel empty, and then I start to dislike. The games that, you know, the only reason I'm disliking them is because I get tired of them. I get bored with them. It's They, they start to feel redundant. They, they, they're, you know, like, okay, great. Another Super Mario Brothers game, you know, like we've never seen that before. You know, wow, this one, he jumps and he has a hat. Wow. You know, it, it, we just keep on seeing the same themes also in movies. And I think with this level of repetitiveness, seeing the same actors time and again, you know, yeah, Hollywood does their best to make everything beautiful, bright, and they get some good actors, you know, they, they and they return to a, a familiar uh, setting like Oz. And you know what? It all starts to feel familiar and overly familiar and uh, t- tired. Just worn out for well, and, and, people and like us. Part of that is because there are only so many plots in the world. There are only so many. I mean, you can put them together in hundreds of thousands of millions of different ways, but there are essentially basic plots that are going to have to be reused some in some way. Even if you only use elements from it and elements from another and remix it, it's all, in in, in some ways, story follows patterns. And right. That I think that they're they're the frustration that I'm having is that they're trying to say, well, it needs to be new and unique and original in some way that it's not possible to be. Right. Mm. So yeah, well, I mean, like, yeah, you just got to be careful, you know, not to be uh, chasing. (laughs) I feel like I don't know how to put it into words, but I think it's very easy to become bored with 
with, with something if you're overly stimulated by it. So I'm very conscientious that I have a life slash work slash entertainment balance. And I, I don't want to get too much entertainment because then I get bored with it. I, I don't want to ha- uh, work too much or I get bored with it. And I don't want to spend too much time just, you know, lollygagging and folding laundry <laughs> either because then I get bored with it. Yeah. Well, I think the bottom line for me is if I ever get that way, I, I want to cut back or I want to do something to not get that way. I want to maintain my perspective. I want to maintain I remember when I used to see a lot less movies, and even still, when I go to the theater, I'm excited to sit down. I, I've been I've been doing this. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of films for a while now, even before we started the movie bite. Although I'm seeing even more since we started movie bite, but I'm, I still have this excitement when I sit down and I say, "Okay, what does this? What do these guys have to show me? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be cool." And sometimes I'm disappointed, but that's that's the way it goes, you know. And I I, I don't feel like I'm overly disappointed. I, so. You know, we should move on past this. That's just a little bit of follow-up on Oz the Great and Powerful since I got around to listening to the latest episode of this. Yeah, I think it's an interesting subject because, yeah, and we'll talk about this more again in the future. I I still have some things I I want to talk about in in that regard. Yeah. Okay, so items of interest for today. We have some pretty good news this week. Uh, I I was pretty much entertained by all the side items that we have at moviebyte.com. So the first one here we have is the story about Hulu getting a revamp on the Apple TV. Yeah, now have you have you been able to use the new uh, Hulu app? Have you updated your Apple TV? I have not, but I, I used the Hulu app before, and my impression of it then was it was just a copy and paste treatment of the layout as an app of the Netflix app. Well, and, 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 and in ways that didn't make sense for Hulu, too, like... You, it felt to me like you had to click three or four times to drill down into your queue to get the video you wanted to play. And uh, I, I actually five or six times. I mean, it just felt like you were drilling down, 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 down to get yeah. to your content. It and feels this, like it was it, its uh, roots for the interface go all the way back to the first iPod or something. Exactly. And uh, this update, I, I have gotten a chance to use it. I have uh, I watched uh, some TV last night on Hulu and. I like it. it. I like it a lot. I like the interface. You, it doesn't feel like you're drilling down into menu after menu to get to your content. I don't Does know. Does it remind you of the uh, interface for iTunes on the Apple TV? Uh, y- yes, a little bit. You know, I don't use iTunes on the Apple TV that much. I tend to be it, when I'm using the Apple TV, it's either Hulu or Netflix. I do use iTunes occasionally for my uh, seldom purchased content. Most of my content is still owned on DVD or Blu-ray, and I have huh. a few iTunes owned content. So. Uh, and then whatever I, you know, I have a lot of media on my actual local physical server. And so I, I use the home sharing a lot, but I don't okay. use the actual iTunes interface a lot. So, but yes, it does look like it a lot. Mm. Um, but and it that's is okay. easier on the eyes. It's got all these great thumbnails. It uses the screens real estate. If it's a wide screen, you get all these thumbnails that are wide pictures rather than tall pictures. Uh, and yeah, it's less about lists and more about, collections of rows of thumbnails yep and i think that's it's smart but it's, you can still drill down into the list too i mean it's not not like that's gone away so you can get there if you need to uh i enjoyed the update a lot i haven't yeah. i mean i've only used it for one night but i haven't run into anything that i like less about the update so i wish this update had come a long time ago i yeah i, I feel sometimes that there are not enough updates to the apple tv i i use a lot of the apps there i check out my podcast there sometimes i listen to the radio stations that you can get through iTunes. Uh, 
the iTunes player on a Mac. I think they mirror the same radio stations in the radio app on the Apple TV. Yep. I, I use it for the Netflix and YouTube and Vimeo. I tell you what, I get a lot of mileage out of it. And I'm really considering getting the MLB app fired up. So <laughs> Good yeah. for you. I, I hate sports, but good for you. It just seems like, though, the, the updates are too f- far you know, apart. Well, so this I mean, is good. Apple has said it's their hobby. Uh, frankly, though, even before the update, it is for me, it was the best way, and it continues to be the best way to consume Hulu. I've used Hulu on a number of different devices. The other day, I was out and about, and I wanted to watch a TV show over lunch, and I used Hulu on my computer. And it's the, the website is just not as good of an experience as the Apple TV, and now it's just even better. And the same goes for Netflix, frankly. Uh, the best way to consume either of these b- types of content is on the Apple TV, in my opinion. And I... I know that you can do it like with your Wii and the Wii U and uh, you know other console type things, but none of them are as good, in my opinion, as the Apple TV. So sure, I, uh, I totally agree. I'm, I'm happy that it's in my life. So mm. and and the uh, the link to that, the uh, info about the update is in the show notes, uh, moviebyte.com/slash/mbpodcast/slash/36. And if you uh, want to get that update on your Apple TV, just go to uh, System Settings and Update Your Software. Next, we have the great, exciting news. Hansel and Gretel is getting a sequel. Yeah, isn't that exciting? Aren't you happy about that? Yeah. You are? You really are? Best movie of the year, man. I'm surprised to hear you say that. From January 1st to, what is this, March 20th, Hansel and Gretel, all the way, man. Pretty faces. I don't believe you. Gruesome faces. (laughs) Oh wow! You you what didn't the like the film. To? You didn't like the film as much as I did. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm being sarcastic. I knew you were. Dude, um, it's just sad. Okay, look, I'm sorry. Let me back up here. I think that the sequel could best the first film. And two, I do like Jeremy Renner. Three, I really enjoy the other performance of what's her name, uh, Gemma, or is it Gemma? Gemma. It's Gemma, Ar- Gemma. Arterton. It looks like Gemma. It's terrible. Arterton. Yeah, she did a great job. And perhaps if they're past the corniness and some of the ridiculousness in this first film, maybe they can they can get on a, a better plane, a better path. Maybe, what is it? Does it feel like to you that Hansel and Gretel kind of, it reminds me of a medieval version of Men in Black. And uh, maybe. You, 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 you're, you're swapping out, you know, aliens for witches. I don't know. I I think that they could do some something better with a sequel, but it did better overseas, and so it's got two hundred million worldwide. Yeah, that's uh, in large part for the overseas box office results. America isn't treating it anywhere near that favorably. Yeah, I'm I'm actually pulling it up right now just to see what America is doing with it. So it had a budget of fifty million. In in the United States, domestically, it made fifty four million, so it did break even basically. But worldwide, I mean, it's doing really well on the foreign. One hundred fifty one million two hundred thousand dollars, seventy three percent of its revenue is coming from overseas. That's a little odd, a little strange, but you know, whatever. I I don't I, have a lot. I don't have a lot of angst. Like you pointed out, it seems like there's a lot of people who just really despise the film. Well, I don't the, think that we need to go out that far. Yeah, the article it's made that for I some to, people, not everybody, but right. some people out there like this film. 
Kevin over at the playlist, that's the article I linked to when I posted the story on moviebite.com. He, he says, this is why we can't have nice things. So Hansel and Gretel, <laughs> Witch Hunters, a total piece of, you know, garbage dumped into January, receiving scathing reviews and then disappearing forever, right? Hardly. This past week, the movie quietly passed 200 million worldwide. What? That's right. International <laughs> audiences have been gobbling this movie up, and with it earning nearly three times what it did in North America, which means one thing. Sequel. And, and here's where my opinion is. I, I actually enjoyed the film well enough. Um, I, I'm not sure sequels actually warranted though. So I'm, I'm like, I enjoyed the film, but I don't, I don't want a sequel. He didn't enjoy the film. He doesn't want a sequel. You didn't enjoy the film as much as me and you probably don't want a sequel either. So I don't think, I think all of us are in agreement that a sequel is a little strange. Like now, why? But now the thing is that Kevin goes so far as to, beg this question he says but of course the big question is will jeremy renner and Gemma arterton return right to which and i said this is such a weird thing to say it is like you i, I can't imagine them doing a hansel and gretel sequel sequel without hansel and gretel i mean right. cer- certainly things have been recast before but that would be a stupid idea and th- i don't think that that would i think that's a non-starter so it's a strange right. thing obviously to say. and since huge- it's not even like a part of the rumor like why would you say that well, a huge part of its success is probably, you know, Hansel and Gretel. Oh, it most certainly <laughs> is. Jeremy Renner and Gemma Arterton are the, the huge thing of success. So, in any event, that's the news. Hansel and Gretel's getting a sequel. I don't don't expect that to be any good, but, uh, you know, whatever. We'll see yeah. what happens. We'll, we'll be here to tell you about it when it does happen. Yes. All right, so uh, the, the film about Steve Jobs, titled Jobs, has been delayed and no release date has been given. Uh, Pamela McClintock reports over at The Hollywood Reporter. Moviegoers will have to wait a bit longer to see Aston Kutcher play Steve Jobs. Open Road Films is pushing back the release of Jobs, which was scheduled to hit theaters April 19, the, the 37th anniversary of the founding of Apple Computer. A new date has yet to be determined. The film was previously titled lowercase j capital o b s all caps there so anyway um insiders tell the hollywood reporter that open road wanted more time to market the film which was fully financed and produced by mark holmes five-star feature film it's probably pronounced holmes but we holmes don't h-u-l-m-e is like sherlock holmes but with a u instead of a no yeah okay whatever holmes in any event, uh, I was I was kind of looking forward to seeing it as an Apple geek, and so I'm a little bit bummed. And it's strange that they haven't set a new date. So who knows when we're going to get this? You know, I wonder if they were banking on the idea there would be an Apple event early in the year, like there usually has well as there has been the last several years, and that that they would capitalize on that for marketing. And yeah, then this year there wasn't one. As an Apple so, follower, I have to say it's a little odd to bank on an Apple event at this point because they've demonstrated, I think, well over the past two, maybe even three years that they are not on any driven particular schedule with their events. They they have them whenever they want to, and it's hard to mm. predict when those will be anymore. So yeah. I don't know if that's – I mean it seems like a pattern that there is no pattern anymore. There used to be. There used to be this this – Dead set pattern. This is when you you know Macworld is, and this is when they're going to announce the new iPods, and this is when they're going to announce the new MacBook Pros, and this is going when they're going to announce the new iPhones, and it's just not like that anymore. Yeah. So well, anyway, it was scheduled for April nineteenth, and, and and it seems like you know what was it about four months ago? It was scheduled for some time in March. So they've been backpedaling. It's getting worse. I'm not looking. Ah, uh, you know, it makes me nervous about this film now. It does. It makes me wonder what's wrong with the film that they that they're really pushing to try to do everything they can to help it. It makes me wonder what's wrong with the film. 
<laughs> but, you of know, course, Ashton, we don't really have a reason to believe that there will be something wrong with the film, but it does make yeah, you wonder. It, it really does. They haven't offered that many things in the way of like previews. I haven't heard of any reviews. Yeah, yeah I, just, I mean, there's there's a couple of clips out from the movie. There's been no actual like trailer. But the thing that really, I mean, frankly, the reason I want to see it is just look how it's striking, just how much Ashton Kutcher looks like Steve Jobs. It's yeah. weird. It's uncanny. And, that's, and, it, I'm just, and some of the earlier press either came out from, uh, what was his name? The other Steve, Steve Wozniak. And he said from, based on the one clip that they released early in advance to promote the film back in, what was it, January? Steve Wozniak's, you know, was just criticizing it. He was like, "That never happened." Huh. I'm not Imagine sure if Wozniak a is a great gauge for that though. Uh, He's a little strange. <laughs> but too but yeah, way too much of the geekdom listen to him uh, about everything. Yeah, I I really so. don't find him to be that compelling on anything. I and and obviously he's not the one that came back and saved Apple, so why do I care about him? <laughs> Well, fair enough. <laughs> I guess. There, yeah, that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> he uses Android and Windows products. That's Ugh. right. Ugh. Okay. Anyway, uh, sorry, sorry. I know we have Android <laughs> listeners in the audience. You guys are fine folks. You just need to learn what kind of. We love you too. We love you too. We're all people in the audience. Okay, so Pepper Pot suits up in Iron Man Three. Is this true? Frank Digicomo. <laughs> Digiacomo. Uh, Digiacomo at Movie Line says if you've uh, read anything about Iron Man 3 footage that Marvel Studios has shown to bloggers, then you know that during the Mar- uh, Mandarin's helicopter attack on Casa Tony Stark, female. Robert Downey Jr. Pepper Potts, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, ends up flying to safety in one of the armored suits. Sounds like a cool scene, and I won't be surprised if it's a setup for another later uh, bit of the movie. But I'm not so thrilled about Marvel Studios' Chief Kevin Feige's recent comments that Puss could suit up for her own adventures in future Iron Man installments. I, I actually, and I, I here, here I am disagreeing with people again. I, I, I'm actually thinking this is a good idea. Like, this will give Pepper Potts a larger role to play, and I, I like the character at Pepper Potts. Why not give her more to do? I think and, that they could do that, though, without making her suit up in an Iron Man suit. Yeah, just because, but just my because you can okay, doesn't mean you should. But I think they should. And my understanding is that she does in the comics, too. Is, can, right. you, can you corroborate that? You're a bigger comic book guy than I am. Well, it's true, right? But there's a lot of ridiculous things that happen in the comics, like That's Mary true. Jane Watson becomes a water woman and eventually <laughs> evaporates. So, uh, see, yeah, and, I, and I'm certainly not an advocate for making everything just like the comic books in the movies. I think that's right. the wrong way to go. But sure. no, I, so, I feel you. You're saying you'd like to see more of Pepper Potts and whatever way that they use her done more effectively. It didn't I, seem like they you know gave what her I'm much. I'm, and I'm solidifying my thoughts as we're, we're sitting here mm-hmm. uh, doing this podcast. I, here, here's kind of, I think, what my mind is going back to. Uh, the, um, the Incredibles. I really enjoyed it when Mr. Incredible and um, uh, Elastigirl were actually teaming up as husband and wife in the end of the film going, okay, we're going, we're a family, we're going to team up and we're going to do this together. I know it's an entirely different type of movie, but I enjoy that sort of thing. I like the uh, camaraderie. And I, oh, like, and I think a lot of people did. It was a huge success. People loved The Incredibles. They, it's, it's, and they brought something to it. It's still one of Pixar's best films. Yeah. 
well, you know, Savvy Pirate commented in the, on the post. He said, lame, lame, lame. There's never been a good super chick, and I doubt that there ever will be one. And I first of all, I kinda, that, that, that sounds a little bit sexist. <laughs> it kind of does, but at this, and on the other hand, I kind of understand what he's coming from. I mean, you know, there was that TV show for Wonder Woman, and it was coming out last year, and there was a huge to do about it. There were there was a lot of marketing, good rumors. They had already recorded some episodes. There was um, photos released online from production shots, and it seemed like just the general interest in the series was so ridiculously low. They they canned the entire series before it, it, it ever showed a pilot. Yeah. But part of the problem is I don't think anyone, including most people in Hollywood, take the idea seriously. I don't think that they 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 can believe a woman with great super abilities using those super abilities to fight crime, to stop terrorists, because it's not, it doesn't seem to be in most women's nature, right? It's not like the common everyday thing that every woman thinks about. All guys sitting in the audience remember wanting to be a superhero or, or a firefighter, sure. you name it. And sure, there's a lot of great women that become paramedics and doctors and firemen. And, you know, it's, it's awesome, right? But the thing is, it's just not most women's ambition. And so when you show a superhero with all this ambition to be one of the world's greatest, you know, heroes, it seems to be a clash of cultures. And it's an issue that, you know, comic book readers won't encounter all that much, but general audiences will. So I wish that they could get over it. I mean, look at the, the success and somewhat mixed success maybe of um, what's her name? Black Widow played by Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. I thought she was a great character. I thought she did well too, but nobody took her seriously in Iron Man uh, two. Really? And then yeah, I, no one did. Sure that's not just more about Iron Man two being a bad film. It could have been that, but I know that there was a great number of people that were just, you know, reviewing her part in isolation of the film. And a lot of people said, you know, hey, there's hope here, but it seems like it's it's pretty silly that it was overdone, overbaked, uh, trying too hard to be something impressive. I, I have to say I enjoyed uh, Black Widow in Iron Man 2. It was like the, one of the only things about the film that I enjoyed. And, and I did enjoy the relationship developing between Tony Stark and Pepper Potts. But Yeah, you know, I, I totally agree, too. You know, I, I, guess I, the, I, I'm open-minded. I'm all for l- women superheroes. I guess I the reason it. why Iron Man 2 was lame to me was, was the villain. Ah, uh, that and so much more. But it had mostly to do with the villains. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was nothing good about them. Yeah. So, anyway... Um, you know, anybody who thinks that a woman can't be a superhero has yet to meet my wife, I guarantee you. Uh, that that I've, She's a superhero if there ever mm. was one. <laughs> Brownie points. <laughs> I, don't even think, I don't even think she listens to this podcast. She does listen to a few podcasts sometimes when she has time, but she's yeah. the reason why she's a superwoman and the reason why she can't listen to podcasts is because she is a great mother to my children. So there you go, <laughs> Savvy Pirate. There are superwomen in the world, and she's one of them, and... Anyway, I would be happy to see Pepper Potts as, as uh, suiting up. I, I'd be interested to see what happens. Me too. I, I think that they would only do it if it would work. At this point, with Joss Whedon leading the, the whole shebang over at Marvel. Well, okay, I'm sorry. We do have to move on from this, but I have to say, man, he's his thing is strong female characters. Like the, Buffy, you know, hello. <laughs> um, and... Uh, 
uh, dollhouse, you know, I think, yeah, I think with his leadership, they can whip the Marvel universe into shape and especially improve what they have in mind for these lesser known, uh, characters, these, uh, other side characters that wind up as superheroes that, that don't necessarily get into the limelight like Tony Stark. The other ones around him that also suit up will be treated with more respect. Yeah. All right. Okay. So the next story. We China, have China lifts the lifts. IMDb ban. Yeah. So this is interesting. I didn't even know there was a ban on uh, IMDb in China. But uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this guy's last name, but Clarence <laughs> over at The Hollywood Reporter, he says, Chinese censors have ended their three-year block of IMDb.com. The country's cinephiles responded on social media with a cheer after regaining access to news and reviews of foreign films, but also expressed doubts about how long this privilege is going to last. News of Chinese netizens being able to access the Amazon-owned website began to circulate last week, and some, quickly commenting on their ability to search for entries of films have, which have been denied screening licenses by the country's film regulators, such as Lo Yi's 2006 uh, Cannes entry, Summer Cans. Palace, which remains banned in the country because of its scenes depicting the pro-democracy student protests in Beijing in the spring of 1989. You're the one that put this in the sh- in the show outline. What do you think? What what do you, hate, what you think? Uh, your thoughts were my thoughts exactly. Your comment. While sometimes I really do take living in a relatively free country for granted, and I totally appreciate it when I read things like this. It brings it back to mind. Yeah, I mean, you and I, I think uh, we certainly do uh, talk about politics when we're not on the podcast, and we don't really talk about it on the site. But we get frustrated. I think all of us, wh- whether we're liberal or conservative. Republican or Democrat or Libertarian, we all get frustrated about some other something or other that's going on in our country. And I'm right there with, with you, but when I read stuff like this, I'm like, man, we, we really do take the freedom to do what we please for granted. Mm. Yes, and, and I'd be very interested to see how this develops, because why would they lift a ban and then put it back on again? Um, there's speculation that they will put the ban back on again in the not too distant future. So we'll see. Yeah. It's, I, I just don't know. It's crazy. It's, it's hard to contemplate. I mean, because we've grown up with these freedoms to, to surf IMDB as we please. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we don't have the government instituting bans on any website of any kind. Well, okay. Copyright, <laughs> copyright infringement websites, but, but not like this. This is so completely different. Mm. So there you go. China has lift, lifted that ban for now. Next, we would just mention before we get to our main uh, study for today, my other review for a film that we don't have too much time for on the podcast, but you should check out the written review for Emperor at MovieByte.com. For the record, I wanted to talk about this on the podcast. It's not playing in my area. It's still not. Right. And, and that's a rotten shame. This movie was worth it. Yeah, I want to see it. I really do. And uh, so in about, you know, 1,400 words, I can't help myself. I, I say all that I want to say about this film you know matthew fox is not going to get the sort of um acclaim or at least ways respect he deserves it doesn't you know, it's not like he you know had such a stellar performance that we just shouldn't ever get tired of it but i mean he does the job right he does this role right matthew fox plays brigadier general bonner fellers and it's the epic story of how america uh general douglas macarthur and uh 
you know, these men, these uh, American troops over in Japan in 1945 dealt with Emperor Hirohito and whether or not he should be executed or imprisoned for life or what after the war crimes committed by Japan, things such as Pearl Harbor. And the movie was, I, I thought, impressively well done, given that it wasn't during a very hype-driven sort of moment of war, you know? Yeah. It's not, it's not got a lot of action sequences. It's not got a lot of, you know, on-the-edge-of-your-seat moments of daring heroics while troops, you know, fight to survive. It's a drama, and it's a drama that really unfolded. And I thought that the film did it very tastefully. You know, stuff like this, this historical epic and others like the movie Lincoln by Steven Spielberg, they both fall into the same category that they're trying to treat humongous events in America's history uh, with all the attention that they deserve, right? But even though I really enjoyed Lincoln... I kind of give a little bit more respect to the uh, just this movie, Emperor, because Lincoln, while being a beautiful film, an entertaining film, with all the star credibility and being well-written, it seems like it was uh, sensational. It was too much. It was so much that you realize this is a film. This is about your entertainment. This is about your, your just, you know, completely uh, uh, uncontrolled appreciation for entertainment (laughs) that's how it feels with lincoln be mesmerized by this man and the circumstances around him for the last four months of his life whereas with emperor it's uh it's uh it's not self-aggrandized and it's not over the top and i really appreciated that it was nice that it was just good old-fashioned american swagger like tommy lee jones says in the film when he's portraying general douglas MacArthur. Good stuff. Now, have you had a chance to read this? I, I reckon not. You've been no, busy. No, I, and I, actually, as we're moving into our next topic, I was going to say, I have a confession to make. Uh, you may have noticed, if you follow moviebyte.com more than just the podcast, if you follow the stuff that I write, I've been keeping up with posting links and, and quick opinions every day. I have not posted a long-form review, oh, I don't know, two, maybe three weeks. Um, and I have several in the queue that I need to get to, and they just keep piling up. Uh, I have been crazy busy, as you might be able to to attest, Joe. I've been a hard person to be in contact with lately. I can. Um, I'm glad for you. I'm glad that you got some business coming in. Well, good for you. Yeah, I mean, th- that's that's the thing, and this is the thing. We're we're trying to get Movie Bite to where it uh, brings in more income, which means I could spend more time on it. It's like a catch twenty two, right? Like the more income it brings in, the more time I can focus on it, which would inevitably bring in more income. But if it's not paying the bills, if I have to go do other things and continue my other jobs in order to pay the bills, um, well, then I can't focus as much time on it. Therefore it doesn't do as well. So it's a catch 22, but I, I've definitely, I've got several things going on. I just booked a gig that will be seven weeks of editing on a documentary film. Uh, so, Ah. Uh, it's going to be hard for me to get this stuff cranked out. But so um, I have not been able to read your review, Joe. I've been working all day today. Mm, well, we'll wrestle some time together and you can you can squeeze it, in, I'm sure. You know, just get up at three o'clock in the morning one day and catch up. Yes, thank you for that, Joe. 
uh, I'm going to be, as soon as we get off the podcast, I'm going straight back to work on a project that I'm working <laughs> on now, and I'll probably be working until about midnight, so... Uh, uh, hey, hey, well, in that regard, me too. I'm burning the midnight oil this week, but yeah, I understand. Yeah, and uh, we'll get, I'm glad you got some business, man. Yeah, it was rough there. Winter months are always rough. But anyway, I didn't, didn't, we're not, not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the call. So the, the yes. call, it was a surprisingly decent film, in my opinion. I, I was pleasantly surprised, even though I, I kind of thought, well, this has potential. At the other hand, on the other hand, I looked at the budget and I looked at, you know, just the, the trailers and I thought, right. well, it could go either way. It could really yeah. be a bad film. Like all the good parts could be in the trailer and then that's it. You know, I've yeah, seen my films impression. Like that. Yeah, my my impression though from the trailer was just like, oh no, oh no! Look at Halle Berry's big hair. Oh no, this <laughs> this this doesn't bode well. Oh, whatever and, you say, man. And, and then it looks like you know some crazy car chases, and that's the other thing, right? You know what? I, I I will never get tired of addressing. I will not get tired of saying it until they stop. But it seems like all the movies these days to to degenerate an exciting scene or to make the movie muster up some action it seems like it's all based around a a long chase sequence somebody trying to escape and somebody trying to catch someone else and that seems to be the oldest plot device and yet it is the most tired plot device it is what they're all doing these days and i can see i mean (laughs) it's rampant dude I see it in all these movies. I mean, there are human beings in most movies. There, There's no guarantee that you'll see a computer or a tree, but there's you can pretty much bet that there will be human beings and a chase scene uh, in most films. Yeah. Not all films. But that's, that's my thing. And when I saw that in the trailer, I was just like, you know what? Ugh, I'm tired of this. So when I started to watch this film, I was pleasantly surprised, and I'm glad that we are reviewing this film. Thanks, TJ, for picking it out. Yeah, now, I will uh, to go along with my confession, I'll have to say, normally I'll put a few notes, wh- uh, whether I jot them down in our shared outline on Google Docs or I put them in Evernote, and, and to, to remind myself, I, I have not had time to do that, because literally mm. I took time hey. to go see the film, and that's it. So I'm going to be going that's by the no seat sweat. of my pants here. Yeah, uh, fly by them. Just fly by it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, th- I, I was I was pleasantly surprised before we before we really dive into the nitty gritty of this film. I, I I was just I was really, how shall I say, impressed with the production values, impressed even with the story in Acts one and two. I mean, and the suspense and and be aware too. This is an R rated film, and it's not R rated for its sexual content or even its gruesomeness. It is R rated just because. Of the thriller aspect of the film, it's which so is so daggum intense, it has intense. a lot of dark it's, themes. It's really intense in you're why dealing, it's rated yeah. that way. And, and, and you're dealing with a gruesome bad guy. Yeah, well, it's actually to me though refreshing in the way it does that. Like most R-rated films are rated R because you know blood is pouring from people, you know, or or because of sex scenes or something. This isn't that way at all, and I was pleasantly surprised. I found that very refreshing that this is rated R just because it's so intense in its. In, in, in boy, it's so difficult to explain because it's not really an action film, but it was intense. I think that our audience would understand. Well, with uh, this bit of information, the director is Brad Anderson, and uh, you were pointing out that you haven't seen it yet. But Brad Anderson directed The Machinist in 2004, starring Christian Bale, and that is a very high 
infinitely intense, suspenseful thriller. I saw it a week ago, just for the first time, and it totally took me aback. I was surprised. I, I didn't even realize that these two films had the same director. But Brad Anderson has a special gift for this genre, and he he has a lot of contrast with extremely lighthearted moments involving uh, pleasant people going about their merry business and the dark recesses of human nature where just all hell breaks loose and, and it, it scares the living daylights out of you. And he, do, and he knows that he doesn't have to show a lot of gruesome things for sensational value to amp up the, the, the drama's credibility and to, to make the movie entertaining. And so, when I, like I said before, I wasn't impressed with Halle Berry's hair until I saw this movie. And I, I totally <laughs> forgot about it. I saw right past it. Whatever. And I, I recognized all this wonderful story unfolding. Good entertainment. And what was, what is it they call it? Um, I think they call it, yeah, high concept movie. Pretty well done. So yeah. here, here's, here's a little bit of the details. It came out March 15th, and it had as a budget of $13 million, which is incredibly modest for most films these days. Uh, with uh, star performers and, you know, having this sort of the success that this film has experienced because TJ got 17 million in the first weekend. Yeah. It more than made back that little budget. Yeah. And that's just the first weekend. And I'll tell you, I, I was surprised too. I went to see it. Uh, I believe it was opening night that I went to see it. It was either that or Friday, but I believe it was Thursday night. And when I first got there, there was hardly anybody in the theater. It was in one of the smallest theaters of the thoroughbred 20 in Franklin. And I thought, Oh no, this, this poor film is just not going to make it. But interestingly enough, this is bad form. You should never do this. You should show up before the trailers start. That's the way you should do it. But yeah. as the trailers were playing, um, the the theater began to fill up. And that little theater, the smallest of their theaters, like I'd be surprised if they didn't move it the next day to a larger theater because it oh. filled up. And and everybody enjoyed themselves. Now, that's another conversation we'll need to have. Uh, I tweeted after the film, we need to have a serious conversation about film et- watching etiquette in, you know, yeah. you don't talk during the film. There were a lot of people that are enjoying themselves. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, this film... Too much? <laughs> yes. Um, uh, n- not to stereotype, but there were, you know, there were some folks of color in the audience. And I have great, good friends of oh, color, TJ. and I, I, I love them, but... Man, there was one woman in front of me that just could not be quiet, and she was doing stuff like, "Oh, girl, you can't do that! Oh no, oh no, girl, God, gotta run, gotta run!" You know, and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, be quiet, <laughs> be quiet." Uh, I think that I wouldn't have been able to tolerate it. On honestly, I was on it, the verge of asking her to be quiet. I, I told really you about was. the smelly onions that I I had last week with watching the uh, uh, what was it, Oz and Great and pa- No. It was another movie. But anyway, I forget which it was. But some movie I watched recently, somebody must have ate chives for dinner. And, then, and, and, and so I was sitting in, in a precarious place where about six seats over and three rows away from me in all directions was a gaggle of people. And I didn't know which one was responsible for the smelly chive smell. Oh, my. So, I, <laughs> so yeah, I was sitting there thinking early in the movie, well, I could change seats and just get closer to it 
It freaked me out. I just uh, hunkered this, down and I covered my nose. As far as the audience, this movie. may be one of the worst experiences I've ever had. The the, the second worst, I'm, I'm still debating which one is the worst, but um, I was at The Hobbit and this this woman kept passing back and forth in front of me taking phone calls. Like she mm. would get up talking as she went out and then she would come back in, pass oh, in front man. of me, you know, very narrow aisle, get back in her seat and then she'd take another phone call. She'd be talking on the phone as she left. I'm like, uh, where? Like, if I were running a theater, I'd kick this person out. Anyway, I've, I've gotten, I've, I've gotten upset again, so we need to move on. But that, <laughs> that, that was frustrating. But there were people there, and they enjoyed the film. Uh, is kind of the point here. <laughs> Good thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So Rotten Tomatoes is saying the general acclaim is that the call builds plenty of suspense before taking a problematic turn in the third act. We will get to that more later on, but would you agree with that, TJ? With that, more that or less, yes. Um, I, I think that the third act has a lot of problems. In fact, it almost feels like the original writer got fired and they hired a new one who they shouldn't have hired, mm. is what it feels like to me. Because the first two acts feel very consistent and they feel logical and within, you know, within the context of the story. Um, and I, I even wondered, this is one of the things that gave me pause in the trailers, like, how is it that she's going to come face to face with this person? Because they certainly, and you know, I'm like, okay, they, they, it could be that, the, you know, how trailers exaggerate things or they make it look like something's happening that's not. Maybe she's right. not going to actually come face to face with this killer, but they're certainly making it look like it. And if that's the case, how does a 911 operator get in that position? I want to know. And yeah. it, it's how does still, the 911 operator end up going hand to hand with the serial killer on the other side of the call? Right, exactly. So <laughs> we'll. When we come to the third act a little later, we'll probably go into spoiler territory about that. But it was not a great. Mm. Uh, the third act has very much, uh, quite a bit of problems, which we'll get into. Right. All right, but fair, but fa- I, I have fair. To, that's a fair tease for more of our likes and dislikes to come. Yeah, but I have to say, you know, since we're here talking about you know the structure of the film, the first two acts had great structure. Just really drove the story along appropriately at the right pace. You know, was uh, you know there was some action scenes in the film, so you know uh, I, I was very happy with the first two acts of the film. Mm. Fair enough. So a little bit about the filmmaking. Uh, we have a lot more this episode because I think this film took me by surprise. I figured it was a two-bit film. It might have I might have given it a C minus if I was reviewing this for a newspaper, and I really didn't expect it to be more than two stars worthy. So when I was, I found myself, you know, tickled pink by it and, you know, just a little ashen white when it was all over, uh, I, I wanted to know more. It, it, like I said, it, Brad Anderson, the director, okay, shoot, wow, there's more to this than meets the eye. So The Call is a 2013 thriller film starring Halle Berry and Abigail Breslin and directed by Brad Anderson, best known for The Machinist, which came out in 2004. The Call, pronounced to be a high-concept film, by many reviewers, was released in March 15th. Now, if you're you're not familiar with this concept, TJ, I think that this is interesting. This is a great way to explain uh, a a trait about an overarching story and its its narrative. Uh, I've I've heard this expression used before by critics and reviewers, but I really hadn't taken the time to look it up and see what it really meant and it's this expression that we use to describe a movie as a high-concept film. So I, I looked at this one up on Wikipedia. High-concept is a term used to refer to an, art, an artistic work that can be easily pitched with a succinctly stated premise. 
it can be contrasted with low-concept films, which are more concerned with character development and other subtleties that aren't as easily summarized, a.k.a. The Emperor. The origin of this term is un- unknown. And see, this this may be, I may be revealing something about myself that I shouldn't. I did not know that, I, like, I would have thought just the opposite. Like, high concept, well, that's got to be about character development or something. So, yeah. I, oh. I, uh, I, did, I was not aware of that at all. I, in fact, yeah. I, I, I don't use the term very much, and so I guess that's why I'm not familiar with its meaning. I, I prefer, I guess, low concept then, because I prefer character development, most, right. for, for lot the of- most part. I think a lot of people would think of low concept to kind of be synonymous with um, meta, you know, a, a lot of details, uh, you know, subtext. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, then high concept means closer to the surface. Yeah. Um, much more shallow territory. And shallow doesn't mean necessarily bad, um, in, in, like this example. So the film was originally entitled The Hive, which was something they referenced in the movie when referring to the gaggle of the 911 operators inside of their call center. They uh, pointed out that the, their, their room, where all the operators are, is called The Hive. Uh, that's its nickname because it looks like all these worker bees and all the different stations and, you know, essentially desks missing their cubicles while they take calls and they you know, move around quickly to respond to the calls. Yeah. All right. Now, Joe, you're not going to read all of this, are you? Because if I were to put this in a scroll, it'd be 10 inches thick. <laughs> no. Okay. We don't right. need to. Okay. But I, I think that this fleshes it out a little bit. Just, you know, we'll hop about here. So Holly Berry told an interviewer that she loved the idea of this movie being a part of a movie that was so empowering to women. Uh, she said, you don't often get to play roles like this where ordinary people become heroic and do something extraordinary. And, and I think that that's pretty true. Yeah. And again, she really nailed this role. I mean, uh, I, uh, yeah, it was great. I, I I've, uh, you know, for all my problems, for instance, I'll bring up a terrible film that you already brought up for me earlier today, Cloud Atlas. Uh, for all my problems with that film, Halle Berry wasn't one of them. You know, I enjoyed Halle Berry in X-Men. I've enjoyed Halle Berry almost in anything I think I've seen her in. So, uh, and, and again, here she did a great job with this. I mean, you really felt the intensity of what she was going through. Uh, because the concept here, the the plot here is that she made a uh, a little error that can be really easy to make uh by hitting callback when she got when she got disconnected from a 911 call and she hit callback because she was so connected as they tell you not to do as a 911 operator she got emotionally connected with this girl who was on this phone and the killer that w- that she had successfully hid from while she was on the phone with Halle Berry um the killer heard the phone ring but then the phone stopped ringing as she picked it up again and that's how he knew there was somebody still in the house. And so, of course, then that was that was it. And so she, oh, man, it, you really felt that for her. Like she made a mistake. She got this girl killed. You know, right. and I'm, I'm sure that's actually it's 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 like a. I'm sure that's a common. It's a, sim- it's a simple mistake, and it, it makes total sense uh, at least ways from the audience standpoint. Yeah, um, and and I'm sure that's a common occurrence too in a nine one one. Well, they call alluded. Center. But they, they suggested in a scene after it happened when her supervisor was talking to her in, a, in private and they were reviewing what had happened, they suggested that their training teaches them not to do that, 
not sure. to call back. But I'm just saying, in general, not necessarily that particular thing, but something like that probably happens all the time in 911 call centers. I can, yeah, I can see it being an easy mistake. Uh, like, for instance, in my lifetime, I've I've ended up calling 911, I think, on three separate occasions. And in each case, I remember that for one reason or another, I was actually disconnected from the 911 operator, and they immediately called me back. Mm. So... I don't understand their policy. They suggest in the movie that somehow, given these circumstances, uh, Jordan, the 911 operator, should have known better and shouldn't have called back, but just well, be safe. It, it sounded to me like she was saying you made a bad judgment call in calling her back because why would you do that when she's in the situation she was in, when she's hiding yeah, from a killer I, in a house? Yeah, but, that, but that's – there's no way to know. It wasn't a bad judgment call. It, it, there's there's too many factors to consider that I don't think in a split second you can make that sort of a decision. To, no, no, I, I'm not disagreeing yeah. with you. I'm just saying that's right. what I perceived they were saying in the film. Okay, yeah, fair enough. So anyway, yeah, you, you mentioned to me on I Am, I'm addressing the storyline, if like I'm jumping ahead of you, and I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry about that, dude. <laughs> you can get over it. <laughs> okay. Well, so, we've, well, we've already kind of described a part of Act 1, so let's go ahead and finish. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the storyline first. Okay, so so, um, so yeah. this the, what I've just described kind of sets the tone for now she's training folks who are coming in, but she is not actually an operator anymore because right. that experience was so shaking to her. She couldn't do it. She couldn't be out there on the floor. They they the one of the great concepts I think, and I'm uh, I'm assuming that call centers really nine one one operator centers actually do have this as a quiet room. When you've been on an intense call, you can go in there and and kind of calm down, and uh, you know. So that kind of tells you kind of what you're dealing with when y- you can so see if you really get into an in- intense situation, you just got to you just got to step away from that for a while after that call's over. So oh, while while you're on that note, TJ, then let's go ahead and talk about this in the filmmaking. Um, Barry prepared for the role by visiting a call center and observing the operators at work, and she told a Miami Herald interviewer that uh, uh, you you get a different perspective by doing research like this on on the the spot in the yeah. real environment, and you can't know what it's like to be a cop even though you have seen it in the movies played out hundreds of times over. And 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 but unfortunately, with a nine one one center, no one has really ever seen that. And so she was saying it was interesting to see who these people were, how the nine one one operators really work, and how they deal with and how they cope with stressful situations. And she was saying just she was super impressed with the the real sort of stamina of nine one one operators. And she said that she couldn't handle that in real life; that she'd be a wreck. Um, so again, I think I appreciate her level of commitment to the role and having done that sort of research, and she sold it. She, I, I would have been convinced that she could pull this off. Oh, I was completely convinced in during the film that she was that nine one one operator. I mean, she did a great job. So, uh, yeah. So for six months, she's off the uh, off the call, uh, off you know, off training people, and uh, she happens to be at the. Uh, now this is where this is where you kind of have to suspend your disbelief, right? And I'm not telling you anything that's not in the trailers. Like, you get this much from the trailers. But you kind of have to suspend your disbelief that she, it just happens to be the same guy that killed the girl earlier that happens to uh, be uh, kidnapping someone else. And she happens to be right there when the call comes in to someone who's, she's not actually the operator, but she's there when it happens and she winds up taking over the call. Um, and, and, and even though she had a bad experience, uh, she does what she needs to do. 
So that's that's kind of the essence of you know, and 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 it's amazing just how even though it's a phone call for crying out loud, but just how <laughs> riveting it really is. It, I was entertained for the entire film. Yeah, and 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 uh, you know, just to clarify again, this is something that's a very important detail about this film. It would not have made sense at all had the 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 nine one one caller been using a regular phone like an iPhone or an Android phone. It had to be an untraceable sort of phone. So it had to be right. a pay as you go phone. It's it's these phones you see when you walk by the kiosks at uh, yeah. at, at in, a, in, a mall. in a mall. The burner yeah. phones. Or as as they might say Thanks. in burn notice, a, a burner phone. So Right. And, and it was kind of convenient. It was the only thing I thought was a little bit too convenient for the story, but I bought into it because it was early on and they, they set up a good excuse for why the girl would even have such a phone. But there were, <laughs> there were a few instances where getting the girl, this phone required that one, she had a friend who had a special need for it. And then two, <laughs> her friend should leave it behind with her, with the girl, Casey at the but, mall. But you know what? And then See, Casey should take the phone to return to her friend and then end up keeping it until she was kidnapped. Yeah, but that's the difference between us. See, I totally bought that. I can totally see teenagers in this day and age doing yeah. something like that, where this girl Me would too. actually have a burner phone that she was keeping off the record, off the books from her parents. But I, I totally bought the tip that. Of the, okay, but then that's just the tip of the iceberg. The one other implausible thing was that when she is kidnapped – the kidnapper didn't check all of her pockets to make sure that she didn't have a phone. Yeah, but he was a little bit. Uh, he had, he was a he was a sandwich short of a picnic anyway, though. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So yeah, she was kidnapped up in a parking deck, and the guy uh, he he's a maniac, and we'll get more to, uh, uh, into him in a minute. But she was, you know, come to think of it, maybe I shouldn't be so hard on it in that particular regard because the, Casey, the girl, was already on the phone when she is captured. So she had again. That was another. Never mind. What am I saying? My, my point is, I think it's awfully convenient, but I bought into it because it happened so early in the film that I I trusted that they would get all of their convenient plot devices out of the way, then give us some better story later on, and they did. Yeah, and you know, to some extent, you when you're telling any any story that's not true, something somewhere is going to be too convenient because you're you're making it up. That's just the way it goes. I I didn't have any problem with that at all. Right. So. Um, uh, so just to finish up a little bit of our you know storyline about it, uh, you know this is the 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 sadistic maniac. His name is Michael Foster, and he murders several people in the process of abducting Casey because they try to intervene. And, and, and of course, to, you know, help. as in good serial killer fashion, blaming Casey every time he has to kill somebody. Oh, of course, it's your fault. You made me do it. Yeah, yeah. No. He, he he never wanted to hurt any men. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, however, he, he okay. So, there's a situation though when Michael Foster has to switch cars, and when he does this, he inadvertently leaves fingerprints at the scene of switching the cars, and this ultimately leads to leaving a trail for Jordan to follow Foster to his secret hideout. Yeah, and that's where we're kind of talking about the climax of the film, and where it kind of goes. Eh, like oh, all right, uh, anything really? that anything, most of the things that we dislike are going to be about the third act. So let's 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 yeah. go on first though and talk about the, our likes for this film. Yeah, and Joe, you 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 you're the one that's made notes. I'm going. I'm as I'm thinking here. I'll mention them. But you okay? You, yeah, you, you go ahead out. and think aloud. Yeah. Well, okay. So my first like I wanted to mention was that this film was a whole lot scarier than you think it's going to be. Man, I yeah. Think it, like a, I'm thinking about even the likes of Taken with Liam Neeson. 
that film was intense. It was um, engrossing, surprisingly, for an action film. You're really rooting for this father to try and oh, yeah. save his daughter from uh, trafficking. And yeah, she's I, overseas I, in Paris and all that, right? I didn't think about that, but it, it, it taken as a, a decent parallel. I mean, it's not the same film by any means, but there are certainly a lot of parallels there. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Right. Now, the thing, though, about Taken is it wasn't as suspenseful. It wasn't as scary as The Call. And I was just impressed how they could use mo- a film that, for the most part, happens in the middle of the day with lots of sunshine. And it gave you just the chills where everything that happens, it's just, oh, wow, powerful stuff. And, yeah, there isn't a lot of character development. There isn't a lot of powerful stuff as far as, um, you know, that is concerned. And uh, well, as far but, as mean, action... There was, there was some character development, though, with yes. Halle Berry's character, I, I would right. say. She, the main protagonist, gets a lot of character development. And eventually the the villain does, too. But eh, on we'll the whole... We'll get to whole, that in a minute. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so so there you go. One of my likes. It's scarier than I expected. And in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I I'm I'm looking just because of well, as you say, he what he was able to do with scenes that you wouldn't I mean, just the way he constructed the scenes and constructed the film. I want to see more from this director. Like I've never heard of him before. I want to see more from him. Wow. Well, yeah. start with a machinist. Okay. But make sure your kids are in bed. Okay, so you have here, too, um, the 911 call center seemed authentic, and I, I would have to agree with that. It, it looked like the real deal to me. I, I've never been in one. I, I don't know, but it, they certainly made it feel uh, feel like it was actually a call center. Uh, obviously, I think there are going to be shortcuts that they take. You know, as yeah. I, I'm just thinking like the computer interface, and they made it look all cool. And you know how Jordan was able to isolate that one sound from the call with just a click of a button? <laughs> I'm an right. audio guy. Classic I know that that's not movies. possible. But, but you know, those are things you suspend your disbelief about. So, right. I, I, I agree. I think that that was a, a good, uh, that's a good one. Now, there was one thing that my wife brought up, um, because she's a, she's very uh, familiar with uh, things like 911 call centers. It's, it's like her, one of her major interests to know everything there is to know about criminology and you know criminal justice and how the police station works it's just one of her side hobbies she reads up on this stuff a lot and she pointed out to me a mistake in the movie was when they were talking about closure how jordan is explaining to some new people uh that are going to become 911 operators that her the one her one pet peeve with her job is that she helps these people on the line, and then the police arrive at the scene of a crime or an accident or you know some sort of attack, and then the police take over, and the 911 operator usually hangs up, and they don't usually hear the end of the story. Yeah. And now, that, now my wife points out that's actually not true. So I don't know why the movie portrays it this way, except that it helps support uh, Jordan. And what she's going through in her character development. And you you appreciate her struggle that she's trying to maintain her equilibrium and live a normal life and be emotionally healthy and help people and be a hero. But then to be emotionally detached from the callers. And it's obviously a struggle she doesn't handle very well 
during the film. But you can see how this supports her character development and her her ultimate arch. And what the movie is suggesting by her character development was that it's actually not a good thing to be emotionally detached. It supports the idea that no, you know, you, you get involved, you let loose, and you you own it, and you and you let this become part of your life, and you let it consume you, and you make a difference for good by it being obsessed about something. And I, I can appreciate that that concept, but I think it was a little out of place. And again, we'll get to that when we get to our dislikes. But I just wanted to mention that. Okay, back backing up. Anywho. So when my wife pointed that out, that they actually do get closure, it didn't bother me that the film deviated from what happens in the real world. And I guess that, that that's just got to be something attributed to the effectiveness of how they portrayed 911 call centers. Yeah. That I, I still bought into it. Even though I knew it was technically inaccurate, I, I, it didn't phase me that it was unrealistic in, the, in a regard like that. It's pretty cool. Yeah. impressive way that they could tell the story so effectively that I bought in something that was completely unrealistic. Yeah, another one that I'll mention is um, the villain, who is extremely creepy, uh, who you don't, like, like this is the, the side, for the role he was playing, this is a good thing. You cringe every time you see him on screen. You, you want nothing to do with him. You want him to go away. You want to get that kid out of that trunk. And he, yeah, he he was really good. I I've never heard of him before either. But uh, the actor Michael Eklund. Yes, and my guess is uh, his character's name is Michael Foster, and that would really bother me, dude. If uh, me and my character, who happens to be you know a sadistic serial killer, share the fir- same first name, I, did that? Did you notice that? <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't know that. So that's just awkward. Yeah, I, I would not want the serial killer I was playing in a film to say, have the same name as me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he was... Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, def- definitely. Well, and my last other like I wanted to mention is that there are, you know, it's a, what was it, a $17 million budget film? No, no, $13 million. And that's pretty good. Considering what they got out of it, it's a great example of a low-budget filmmaking production. Yeah. And so uh, all the more power to them. And uh, specifically to Brad Anderson, if he can pull off this sort of stunt again and um, sell us on a, a high concept with that kind of budget, then great. Uh, I'm going to be watching Brad Anderson films and uh, keeping keep an eye on him because uh, his films take me by surprise. Yeah. So let's talk about what we didn't like about this film. And this is this is really we're going to get into spoilers here because you can't talk about what you don't like about this film without talking about the third act and giving everything away. So if you don't want this film spoiled, you may want to wait and listen to this part right. later. Yeah, spoilers are to follow, so go ahead and cut off the program. No, well, come back to it. Uh, <laughs> all right. So in the third act, this film takes a turn from thriller to horror slash revenge tale. And it really feels like, as I was saying, I think before the pod, was I saying this before the podcast started or after? I don't remember. But um, it really feels like this film was written by one person for the first two acts. And then, like, they fired that guy for some reason or he got sick and they hired somebody else who should (laughs) never, ever touch a pen ever again. That's what it feels like. I know that's not the case, but that's what it feels like to me. Like, this guy should never write anything again. Yes. Well, while you're talking about the writing, I want to say that. 
The beginning of it felt a little overly written. It didn't seem bad, but it was a little overly done. And this is where you and I will part ways. Yeah, and, and yeah, this is one of my dislikes about the writing was the beginning was way too excessively lively. You know, it felt too happy I, and spirited. I gotta disagree for with you, man. the rest of the film, which would become very quickly a a sobering struggle. But I don't to, think the film. Survival. I don't think the turn. Uh, to the sobering aspects of the film would have had as much impact if that had not been the case. I think it was brilliant. I like that. Right, and I can see that. I guess I can see that. But when the drama actually starts to happen and the thrills begin, I wasn't prepared for them, and it took me, uh, I think, an extra 10 minutes of the movie to start to appreciate them. Because when the girl gets kidnapped, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, let me finish my popcorn. Because I knew that that was going to happen. I knew that the girl would be kidnapped, and in the manner in which she's kidnapped... Well, but that's okay. I, I, I think was, that's okay, because the film is more about the rest of the story, and it's it's almost, yeah. uh, y- we know what's going to happen, let's just do it and get it out of the way. I think that's fine. Uh, you know what? Now, with a little bit more reflection, I will give it to this, uh, I'll give it this credit, that the film very slowly, methodically, progressively gets darker and darker and darker up to the climax that it starts out pretty, pretty uh, smooth. And you're thinking, okay, this is, uh, you know, an, an optimal situation. There's some positive aspects. Hey, the girl stands a chance of escaping here, you know, and things like that. And you're like, Oh, okay, go for it. And then it fails. And then, Oh my goodness, it's starting to get a little creepy. You know, and that's the way it felt progressively getting darker and darker. And I think that that was pretty clever. Sure. I just, you know, my, my one, um, Hmm. I think I think everything I didn't like about this film was in the third act. And so, yes, you're right, it gets progressively darker, but then it takes a left turn and just becomes something else entirely. And I, I think... I want um, to talk a lot more about the third act, but I had a f- couple more things I wanted to address. Okay, go ahead. Oh, okay, mainly, there's this awkward moment, right, that Casey oh. is the kidnapped girl. Oh, Joe. I'm, I'm reading ahead. I'm going to disagree with you on this, but go ahead. Okay, fair enough. But okay, to me, it struck me as very odd. Um, you know, the movie is trying to develop Casey's character, and you want to feel sympathetic for her. And naturally, I, you know what? I, I'm a fairly moral guy, and I already sympathize for her. You know, I don't care if she's um, a bratty, whiny teenager that never did any of her homework and, you know, whatever. And forgot to let you know, feed the cat and let it die. I would have still wished that she could get out of this fix. But here's the thing: there's a moment when she's talking to Jordan, you know, who again is the the nine one one operator, and she has a moment while they're in the car, and the the serial killer is driving down the freeway, and Casey stops and thinks to herself, "Hey, w- what if I do die? Uh, you know, I, what do I want to do in my last moments here?" And so she's very emotional. She's really stressed. She, there's all this tension. And so she she pleads with Jordan and says, hey, do you, do you record these calls? I want to leave a message for my mother. And Jordan, you know, she gets a little shaken emotionally by this idea. And she tries to, you know, encourage Casey to hold it together and be a fighter and don't don't turn all doom and gloom and don't don't give up but casey's got to get it got, she's got to get this out of her system and so what she does is she leaves a message for her mom and in that message you know this is a moment where you're supposed to be endeared to casey this is a moment where the screenwriting is trying to 
ha- have you appreciate her more more fully so you want to see her escape all the more and casey says to her mom in the message you were the best mom ever because you gave me everything i ever wanted and i, I the way that that rolled off just kind of bothered me like wait a minute so you're saying your happiness is dependent on getting everything you ever wanted and that's the reason you you're thanking your mom no, that she see, gave you okay, everything you ever wanted. Let me help you out here, Joe. I have to say, this scene was very effective for me. You and I are completely opposite here. I really? uh, I, I okay. had a little sand I had to get out of my eye. You see, I, it was bothering me. Um, oh, wow. no. Um, <laughs> um, the, the thing is, I, I didn't take it as, oh, she gave me everything I ever wanted that made her the best mom. I took it as a teenage girl who's hysterical, who's searching for the right words to tell her mother uh, in the in in what she's facing, knowing she's likely going to die, and she sure. wants to get a message to her mother. That's how I took it. Not that it was supposed to be like this, you know, brilliant statement that oh well, you know, because you gave me everything I ever wanted, you were a great mother, and that's why I love you. No, it was, she was searching for something to say in that moment. I thought right. it was fine, I but I know that the screenwriter was not searching for something to say. <laughs> so uh, I, I, come on, Joe, come on, come on. I, I, I'll give it to him. It, look, it look was not a, it. it wasn't a huge mistake, but it was something that still kind of bugs me because we have, we, we have plenty of things to be bothered about in the third act. This is not one something we need to worry about. Well, okay. That's the thing. It feels like it kind of harken. It relates to the things that happen in the third act, right? Like given what they do with the end of this movie, I understand how a line like you're the best mom ever because you gave me everything I wanted it winded up in the film. It's because okay, it's just I'm just saying the way in which the movie tanks at the end of the film is consistent with a writing like that. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not gonna give you that one, Joe. I don't agree. Okay. All right, so anybody in the chat room do you agree with me or TJ? Let us know. Okay, so um the climax. Let's talk about the climax. This film went horribly off the tracks. Um, in in it, it's it's more the, the whole way this film resolved itself is morally questionable. Um, like, and not just that. Let, let's let's let me back up and say this: Why did Jordan do what she did? Why did she go somewhere without a way to defend herself, without a plan, without uh, any? any thought or foresight into what it was that she was attempting to do like what did she what was she going to do oh tj you're saying it okay let's just explain the situation the cops have already gone to gone to the supposed hideout of the serial killer and they've tried everything that they could and the call is long gone there the trail is growing cold and it's late at night, and everybody who's been worried sick for Casey's life, just there's nothing that they can do. They got to give up, or at least ways. If they're going to, you know, try to nab this guy, they got to take some alternatives. They, 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 all the trails gone cold. But Jordan will not let it go, and you're, and she's sitting there in the call center long after everybody's gone, which doesn't really make any sense, right? Because it's the nine one one call center, and I imagine that there are calls you know, all, you know, 24 <laughs> seven. But anyway, she's sitting there at the call center thinking to herself, you don't know what time it is, but it's late. And she gets up, she gets in her car, she sleeks away down the interstate. You're not sure where she's going, but you have a bad feeling about this. Mm-hmm. And she goes far away from the call center, which is in LA. Based on what you've seen already up to this point in the movie, you realize that the hideout is several hours away and this is late at night. 
So this doesn't look good. She pursues the villain on foot once she gets to the hideout. Not, you know, not really sure what she's doing. She's just, she's just like you, Gigi. She's flying by the seat of her pants. And <laughs> uh, she doesn't have a weapon to defend her. The, and there's a moment when I, I got a glimpse on her phone that it was 2.30 something in the morning. And I was like, are you serious? She's at the suspected hideout at 2.30 something in the morning, and she's hours away from L.A., and she has not reached out to anybody to let them know where she is. Okay, and then she has nothing that resembles a plan. What if she should stumble into the villain? Yeah, then you know, what? Yeah. So then uh, she finds what she really believes to be the hideout, and she breaks in. That's smart. All you got is your phone, and you're not willing to call anybody, so you snoop around inside, right? So all of a sudden, she's reduced to being, well, this is a Nancy Drew story. You know, that's what, all of a sudden, it's like, what? All, for all of your training as a 911 operator? Please. Okay, then she, she still doesn't reach out for backup when she has the confirmation that she's found the murderer in his hideout. What? Really? Now you know that he's right there, and rather than get back up, you, what do you do? You, you fumble. And that's what she does. And then, again, all this at two-something in the morning. It was like, what? Really? I was so disappointed. And this was just, if, it, if this were all that happened wrong in the movie, it would have been right. bad it, enough. At this point, it's still salvageable, though. Like, exactly. As much as, and I, I agree with every word you said, but it, the film could have still been salvaged at this point. It, it could have. But instead, what happens is that uh, she comes, she clonks the killer over the head as he's trying to scalp the girl. And then uh, they have a little tussle. The girl who's been drugged and uh, he was trying to scalp now helps her uh, Jordan out by clonking him over the head again. And they make it. Uh, he's right, like right behind him. She gives him a good kick, he falls down the stairs and is knocked out, and it's still salvageable. It, it could still be salvaged. Like, yes. All right, we got the bad guy. He's unconscious. All right, now let's and, call and, the police. And, and now here's here's where I thought the film went so far south that it's just, oh man, this, this, this took it down at least two whole stars on my rating. So, what do they do? They go back down the ladder into the, the hole of the hidey hole that the guy has been hiding out in with this girl, and they drag him back to his house of horrors, and they chain him up, and they leave him. Ooh. They, they've now become the lawbreakers. Well, okay. Seriously, people, as far as the movie was concerned, it was what was that about? I mean, where did that even come from? It, it, tr- it changed. It, the, the, yes. it changed the whole tenor of the film from thriller to revenge. Yes, it was, you know, all these, it was law-abiding heroes that were doing their part to protect and defend and all of a sudden, they in just a split second, they were reduced to the lowest form of revenge, fighting fire with even a bigger fire. Because, hey, at least the guy is going to kill the girl once he's done scalping her. And I know it's sick, right? But, you know, we begin to see that horror when, you know, the, uh, the women, Jordan interrupts him and they fight for their lives. That was bad enough. But then the women decide, yeah, we're going to let you sit here and rot to death. And I was like, what? Really? Yeah, no, really. Uh, it just made me sick to my stomach. Yeah, it 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 uh it was so unfortunate too. I think the reason why we're hating this so much 
is because it was such a good film up to this point. It was. And, and again, also, something that was on my mind while I was watching this movie, I was in the middle of writing my review for Emperor, and it was the exact opposite message. It was the it was the exact opposite. It was so refreshing. I was in, I mean, like, just hours before I saw the call, I was writing a, a body of text that essentially said, it was so refreshing to see a hero that is concerned with not just real justice, but also real yeah. mercy and what that stands for. Yeah. And, and then this thing happens. Yeah, oh, it, it sends it the me wrong down. message. It says, take the law into your own hands, go and get your revenge. And yeah, it, it really, it, I was ready to rate this film four stars and boy, it it, it, this, this brought it down terribly, and, severely. And on, on that note, the same thing, TJ. I would have been glad to give this film four stars. I would have been glad to share it with family and friends and say, guys, let's watch this movie. I know you love action films, and I'll, I know you love you know this thing and that and the other. You know, My wife would have loved this film up to that moment. And then all of a sudden it was like, really? You had to turn all Dexter on us? Why? Oh. Yeah, by the way, I, I refuse to watch Dexter, so... <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan. Okay, so what does this mean? What we're saying is is that the quality was four-star worthy, and then the film it just turns inside out. It, it turns against itself. And for me, quality aside, I cannot get past just how immoral this behavior is and what it wants to do for the audience. Yep, I agree. It wants the audience to feel justified, taking the law into their own hands, and that's completely immoral. And two, even if it wasn't illegal, TJ, I still think it would be immoral. Oh, certainly. Morality yeah. has nothing to do with legality, uh, you know, if you want to get into that. Yeah, it, it and, was, and I, and I know this did, is really meta, but at the same time, it seemed like this film's meta was so good until that moment. Right. You see, here's the thing. I believe it's perfectly acceptable to shoot someone in self-defense, just as an instance, just just to throw something out there. If to you, defend yourself in any particular defends, way. To defend yourself, to defend your family, you have somebody who's barging through your door with a gun, you shoot him, I have no moral questions about that. But now you you get this situation where this these girls, they've escaped, they can run, they can get in Jordan's car and take off and you know call the police, they've knocked the guy out, he's laying down there stone cold, they can get... They can do what they need to do without stooping to this morally questionable action that they take. And, and, and the film is essentially endorsing revenge and saying, you know what? It's okay uh, to, 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 to do this to another human being. It's okay to do what he did to you to him. Rightly. So, yep. so that's uh, the bottom line is I give it three out of five stars. It's just yeah. slightly I mean, because – you know, as as long as you uh, have a good moral grounding and you know this is a bad thing, the first two acts are worth seeing. It's 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 that good, and so I I do give <laughs> yeah. it three out of five. Yeah, and I'll give it three out of five too. And I think that it's justified. It was surprisingly good, except for the moral to the story. <laughs> yep. And IMDb is giving it a six and a half, uh, six point six. Rotten Tomatoes critics are giving it a thirty eight. And audiences there are giving it a 71. The audiences are liking it. So, you know, and, and I think, you know, there's something yeah. about the way it ends that appeals to the base kind of human nature, right? Of, 
uh, ooh, that guy got his comeuppance and, and that girl served it to him. You know, I think that's maybe why audiences are really connecting with this film. I, and that's why I think it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was a moment early in the film. I forget what the circumstance was, but it was kind of a passing comment. I think one of the girls at the mall made to the, it made, you know, to, you know, to the other, I don't remember what it was, but it was something kind of creepy. It was something that in and of itself was just a passing comment. And I forget what it was, but the audience I was with reacted by laughing. They, oh, they thought, I, yeah, yeah. Doesn't it bother you when it, that happens? That did bother me. There were a couple of moments like that where I, I didn't have a problem with it being in the film as much as I had a problem right. with the audience's reaction to it. That they, that they were enjoying it in a, in a light I find disturbing. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, just enjoying it in the wrong way. <laughs> People, you're creeping me out. Yep. Yep. I agree. Well, I think that wraps up uh, all we have to say about the call. Sure. Uh, so unless you have anything you want to add. Um, no, not really. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward to your review if you ever get to it. <laughs> I think maybe we need to bring on somebody to write the review. Seriously, because I'm swamped. Mm. Uh, and I have a couple other reviews I'd rather get to before I get to this one. So. Uh, anyway, uh, next week we're going to be talking about Olympus Has Fallen. I am really looking forward to this film. I it really hope it's good. I hope it's good because I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to be Morgan so Morgan Freeman. And what's that other dude? Um, that Scottish dude. I can't remember uh, his name. Gerard Butler. Ger- Gerard Butler, yes. But I- yeah. I'm just more interested. I mean, the trailer looks absolutely awesome. This film is coming out this weekend. I'm, I think my wife is going to see it with me. I, I, I don't know what we're going to do about Kaylee. I guess mm. she'll come to the theater with us. We've been to the theater with small babies before and Ooh. she's not very loud uh but you know it's gonna have a few explosions and stuff in it so i'm not so sure what we're gonna do but <laughs> um <laughs> yeah, you can bring it you bring your baby to an r-rated film <laughs> yeah i don't know is it r-rated i don't think it's r-rated oh, i think it's it? pg-13 okay. i could be oh, wrong okay. uh let me let me look it up real quick so but while i'm looking that up uh joe where can people find you on the internet i'm available at twitter joseph darnell and i'm also on app.net now and i'm joe darnell there so then over on uh, Facebook, if you wanted to find me there, I, I happen to be Joseph Darnell on Facebook. And if you want to find my website, you can punch in Joe Darnell, which will redirect you to my website named jivingjackalope.com or .net now. Anyway, so yeah, I'm around. I write. I, I share fun things as much as I can. I can't be as pithy or as interesting as I would like because I have to get work done. And, I, I uh, feel you. There you All go. right, I, I did look it up. You were right. I was wrong. Uh, the the film is rated R. For some reason, I had thought I'd saw it was PG thirteen, but Olympus Has Fallen well, is rated R. The trailer makes it look like yeah. The trailer makes it look like a PG thirteen film. No, what it's worth. That makes sense. All right, so you can find me around uh, places like Twitter at uh, I'm uh, TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. You can find me on App.net if you like uh, TJ Draper on App.net. You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash TJ Draper. Hey, you can find me on Letterboxd, uh, letterboxd.com slash TJ Draper. That's where I, after I, as soon as I watch a film, even if, it, if I've watched a film at home or watched it at theater, I will rate it right there and right then just to log that I've seen it. So you can follow me there. Uh, and of course, you need to make sure that you check Movie Byte every day. We post stuff every day on Movie Byte, don't we, Joe? Uh, we keep you mm-hmm. up to date and uh, on what's going on in the film world, moviebyte.com. And uh, you can find all of the uh, show notes, the links and all of all the things we've talked about for this episode at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 36. Well, I was just going to mention uh, two other things, TJ. One, 
uh, really quick um, to our listeners that have taken the time to rate us on iTunes. Thank you very much. I visited our reviews on iTunes this past weekend, and they were a huge encouragement to me. I didn't expect some of the kind things that y'all have said, and I really appreciate that. They, they warm our hearts and souls, and you know, they just you know endear us to you. So yeah, and yeah, you know what? Uh, I, 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 I wasn't done, TJ. I just wanted to say y'all gave me everything I ever wanted. And I really appreciate that. <laughs> well, here's the deal. You know what I'm going to do? Uh, I don't. Ha- we don't have anything to give away right now, but if you want to give us a rating on iTunes, and it's a good rating, it's a positive rating, I will read your name and your review on the podcast next week. So and let's sure not be to- too discriminate. If you, if you have some interesting feedback, some, what do you call it? Constructive uh, criticism. Constructive criticism. If it's not yes, mean, you. if it's not, you guys Please. suck and your podcast suck, then yeah, we'll, we'll probably read it. But <laughs> we, we love good reviews. We want to hear, we want we want you to be yes men. <laughs> but no, that, that will really help Movie Bite to grow and get us, uh, you know, uh, get people interested in the podcast make the visibility higher the more highly it's rated the more people subscribe the better it ranks in itunes so please do that for us and uh we will we will read your review on the podcast next week if you give us a review all right all right well that wraps us up for this week i hope you guys have a great week and a weekend go see some films uh go see olympus has fallen we'll be talking about that on wednesday that's it for us we're out of here thanks joe good night